Football is officially back, and we've got you covered right here on the Ringer NFL feed. I'm Shiel Kapadia, and every Tuesday and Friday, Ben Solak and I will be bringing you Extra Point Taken. Nora Princiati here to tell you that Steven Ruiz and I will be coming to you every Monday and Thursday. Our Monday show will recap everything from Sunday's games. Thursday's show will encompass any news during the week with an eye towards the next slate of games. Subscribe to the Ringer NFL show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow the Ringer NFL on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter at Ringer NFL. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRigger.com. Joining me in the studio, walking the picket lines and going up to his fellow strikers saying, Go Birds. It's Andy Greenwald! I would do that. You should. You should build bridges. You know, maybe you walk up to, you find a Cowboys fan out there on the picket line outside of Netflix and you say, Hey, brother. We're in, this, we're in the same fight today. Pro- probably DGA. <laughs> right? DGA, some DGA guy with a Romo jersey. <laughs> and you're like, hey, remember when hey. <laughs> we broke your pelvis? What's up, Andy? Is today just going to be Eagles pod? Like, should we warn people? You know what? Sometimes we struggle to like, pe- like piece together a functional yeah. show. I, I don't mind saying that. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been doing this for a really long time. And yeah. it's like, what do you want to watch? What do you, I want to watch? What do you want to talk about? Is there any more lioness meat left on the bone? Uh-huh. I appreciate it, by the way, Kaya. You put in the Lion King music in there. That was top notch. Did you do that? A- oh, yeah. I was curious because like sometimes what I'll be queen. like, Kaya, play Stravinsky's Fourth Symphony, and she doesn't do it. Well, that's because that's she's on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be careful about you know the fair use, Copyright. the legal. Yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. pick and choose. Because I think I asked for Danny Boy recently, and I didn't hear Danny Boy. That seems to be more public domain than the Disney-owned Lion King soundtrack. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get in trouble here. Yeah, but we do, you know, we do Iger Counter and... Big Bob Iger fans. I can't imagine anybody from Disney having a problem with the podcast we're about to do because today we are going to be talking about the 12,000 word (laughs) article on CNBC about the succession collapse between Bob Iger and Bob Chapek at Disney. We're also going to chat a little bit about reservation dogs. Mm -hmm. Andy, I had. uh, This is like going to be the girl dinner of podcasts, isn't it? It is. It's just like a little bowl of olives, Mm -hmm. a couple slices of cheese. Maybe a flatbread? Yeah, maybe. Or maybe just some kettle chips, you mm-hmm. know? And, and, and just just a spritz. I told myself I was going to turn that off. My bad. Um, Andy, I have a professional question, and then I have like a quasi-professional personal anxiety thing I want to express <laughs> to you before we get to Disney. So I'm so excited about this. Let's start with professional. You're in the driver's seat today. I saw an article mm-hmm. on the Deadline website yep. about overall deals being suspended uh, as we enter mm-hmm. week Three billion of of mm-hmm. what it at least feels like with this strike. Uh, Bill Lawrence, Mindy Kaling, Greg Berlanti, three of our sort of like most prolific and successful showrunners out there, and likely J.J. Abrams have all been notified that their overall WBTV deals have been suspended due to the strike. Yeah, the quote unquote suspended time will very likely just be added onto the expiration date of those respective deals. So the overall payday is the same. This seems. Why is this an article? And why, why I, I is this know. at all notable? No, um, as far as I can tell. So this is something that everyone 
was expecting to happen, but also very likely happened months ago. I see. Most of the people that I know who are under overall deals from the studios were, and the, the, the industry term is um, suspend and extend. Gotcha. So you, the time you miss from the suspension gets added on yes. to the back end. So if the strike lasts six months, you're, you, get, you get the time. They're just, it's suspended I think that's for great. now. I was worried the, about these guys. I, I, yeah. <laughs> Hand to mouth for this, this, this cohort. I, th- I think it is possible that some of these companies were suspended at different times, depending on where they were with the production half of their duties. For example, if one of these creators, their company was posting a show that had already been finished or basically non-union covered work, then I would understand why maybe they kept the kept the paychecks flowing. But yeah, not as far as I can tell, not major news. What seemed significant was that this was Warner Brothers leaking or announcing or quietly whispering that they had done this. Um, maybe to, I, I, I actually couldn't even imagine their strategy. Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing is, um, you know, we are doing much like the late night hosted with strike force five. Yes. We're going to do something similar for these guys. Um, <laughs> like I just want to make sure John Wells can eat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so we're going to, we're going to worry about them and take care of them because we take care of our own. Yeah. Um, it's just a weird moment. Anyway, it's a weird moment. Um, there is a, a vacuum of news uh, related to the strikes. It's feel, the vibe feels eerie. The vibe is weird, and I don't have any substantive updates other than it doesn't feel great right now. The quickest possible update. The state of play, as I understood it, was last week uh, before Labor Day, the CEOs were, were meeting. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know where they meet. Uh, I hope, at Carol's suggestion, it was the Olive Garden. The Denny's on Gower. I mean, yeah. I've been there. Not bad. That's one of Angeline's favorite spots. <laughs> yes. Um, a legendary Hollywood hangout. And I think they were trying to get their story straight and see what their tolerance level was for moving the the offer and, and coming back to the writers. The Labor Day holiday, though quite, you know, uh, uh, representational symbolic. and significant and symbolic, uh-huh. was actually poorly timed this year because I do think the CEOs, um, it, maybe we would have gotten some sense of how that meeting went had there not been a three-day weekend. The other unfortunate thing was the Guild, you know, has been relatively quiet about negotiations except when pressed or when events warrant, um, but Labor Day demanded some sort of comment. And so, yeah. so I think that there was some, not frustration in the Guild, but, but you know, nature of horrors of vacuum. So they wanted people, people that I speak to and I'm hearing from wanted more updates, but there really weren't any updates to give other than our guy, Chris Kaiser, giving a little, you know, the history of Labor Day oh, gosh. video, yeah. um, which was appreciated because all these guys are working really hard on the negotiating committee for, by the way, zero dollars. They, oh, yeah. they did not negotiate salaries for themselves from the guild. They're doing all this for free, which is kind of incredible. Um, you know, so I think they can probably get on like a, a, a slack with, with Mindy and JJ and just be like, so here's what it's like living hand to mouth. Mm-hmm. No, uh, jokes aside, I kind of hoped that there would be some movement from the studios this week. A lot of chatter in the industry that we're reaching sort of... Yeah, event a, horizon. Event yeah. horizon for whether there will be any television this year or summer movies Yeah, I mean, you, if you read stuff, like if you read Richard Rushfield or Matt Bellany and you see like these sort of like icebergs on the horizon where it's like if they don't start rolling on movies mm-hmm. in January... And this is also, I think it's worth mentioning to people who don't live here and, and maybe are outside of this industry. I've, I'm sure we have lots of listeners who don't know this. Like, this place basically shuts down at Thanksgiving. It sometimes shuts Early. down the week before Thanksgiving because people are like, it's a week before Thanksgiving. And then it literally feels like no one comes back to work until the middle of January. I've had notes calls pushed because of Halloween. Yeah. So yeah. I think that the reason why people are starting to get 
really jumpy is that mm-hmm. there is actually only two months left in the working year yes. here. I, and this is getting really real. It's yeah. been real for a long time. And and so I was saying that if they don't start rolling on certain things on January, that like summer movies are essentially in jeopardy, except for the ones that they have moved from this summer to next summer. And, you know, taking even a step back, like the economic and life impact on people who work in the industry, not just writers and oh, actors, yeah. but, but but below the fold and, and, and crews. I mean, it's devastating. And it's actually, you can't even kind of comprehend, it's kind of incomprehensible at the moment. So what I think we're seeing right now is the part that's the hardest for anyone to stomach, but also the hardest to predict, which is there's a gamesmanship element here. No one on either side of the strike has ever said that they don't believe there will be a deal. A deal is going to happen. There will be content made again and people will get back to work. This is the part that's the hardest to parse because this is not this sort of like, are they talking or who's going to blink first and what are we going to talk about when we talk and what's the appetite for a deal now that it has been a couple weeks of frustration and a couple you know months now on from when SAG joined the picket lines and gave everyone a shot in the arm. What's the next thing that's going to, mm-hmm. what's the next domino that's going to fall? So it's kind of a, it, it's a staring contest and there, by the time this podcast posts, there might be some news or there might not be some news for 10 more days, but it's an uncomfortable moment. Um, and uh, prayers up for Bad Robot. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was going to mention just uh, in terms of uh, watching stuff. Mm. I'm going through it a little bit right now because I love this show called Top Boy. That's on right. Netflix. I think I talked to the creator, Ronan Bennett, like about, I can't mean when season three of Top Boy, but season one of the new Top Boy came out. Because it was a British show that had yeah. cult success and then it came back on Netflix, yes. right? Was Drake involved in pushing this? Yeah, the executive producer list of of Top Boy's revival is pretty impressive because it's like Drake and some OVO guys and then Maverick Carter. And I, it was mm-hmm. like a kind of beloved cult hit that became now this like international crime story sensation. It's, it's set in London and Hackney largely. Well, there's some stuff in Jamaica and elsewhere. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could describe it as like some you could describe it as the British Wire, but I think it's you know it's got it has its own vibe. It has its own mm-hmm. its own way of going. And I'm like eight episodes behind, and the new season starts tonight. And I haven't had this anxiety in a while. Like usually with Netflix shows, I think it's more for things like Stranger Things, where you're like if you're behind on Stranger Things somehow, like you know, and you're still watching it. Like usually if you like Stranger Things, you just watch it. But you know, like I'm worried about like the that ending of Top Boy damn you know and just be yeah. like i don't want to miss this but i'm very uh fired up for this season because barry keegan is on it and he was like apparently like i just basically demanded to be on the show because he loves it yeah which i think is tight as shit that's cool yeah i wish more people did stuff like that i agree stop worrying about what your imdb page looks like and, and just, just be like you know what i like top boy i'm gonna be on that yeah <laughs> that's a pretty cool move yeah so i'm i'm firing through episodes that i've 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 been behind on do you ever get anxiety though where you're like i like this thing mm-hmm. and you fall behind and then when you fall behind it becomes insurmountable that's my life yeah i feel that about almost everything do you mean are we talking about television oh yeah sure parenting um yeah and i don't know how to remedy it yeah frankly like Remember when I was uh, going to catch up to you with For All Mankind? Yeah. Didn't, didn't make it. I fell behind on For All Mankind too. I will say though, I had an experience the other night. Uh, a friend of mine and I were supposed to maybe get a drink and mm-hmm. we didn't. 
you're that friend. I know. Uh, that was, but, but it was a mutual decision. I think you and I both were like, who, who amongst us in our mid-40s are going to start drinking at nine, right? That was what it came down to. I was not free until a later time. Yeah. But yeah. we both had, you know what was that? Honestly, you know what's sort of sad about this? I feel like we both shared a great time of thinking it was going to happen. Well, I we was both very got excited because really at first like, I was like, I'm not going to be able to go out. And then yeah. I was actually, I was free. Yeah. And then as the, as the time moved later, I was like, pretty comfy. And I was comfy watching Top Boy. Okay. And I had the experience that I haven't really had in a while mm. of like, I'm just going to roll into another one. Oh, I'll, you just let it play? Yeah, it's engaging enough that, I mean, I, I love the show, but it is mm-hmm. just engaging enough that you're like, this is like, I have to watch this. I can't like also look at my phone. I can't also mm-hmm. like go do anything else. I know, I don't mean this is like a laundry thing. I just mean like, you know, sometimes you get distracted. But it is not like... Uh, it's not something where I'm just like, I'm living and dying by like what happens in this scene and I need to turn it off because it was so intense. And so that makes it like this perfect, like from eight to 11, I just watched Top Boy and I was like, this is a pretty, pretty nice fucking night. So you're just rolling. Though. Ice like, cold Modelo, just chilling, you know, thinking about stuff. It's the number one beer in America. Have you heard that? Yeah. There's, I mean, it is the number one cold beer in America. Oh, I don't just mean like the best. I just mean like apparently it overtook. I, uh, I yeah, Bud Light. I'm just saying, and this is no free ads. I really like Modelo, but you got to keep that shit cold. That's what beer's supposed to be. Yeah, but as apologies you, to the juice wolves. <laughs> Chris, I I was at a, a market. I won't say like a bodega. It's like you know you know these things have, have they've 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 just spread across the country now, or at least certain markets? metro areas. Not like I don't know what to call them, like fancy markets. Like you go in and you can get olives and also oh, yeah, you like can get street grocers type things. skin contact nonsense yeah, right. and all this. Right, right. And so I'm looking at the line of beers and, you know, generally I'm like, I'm not interested in these because I don't want to drink a beer that's 12.9% alcohol and flavored <laughs> with chocolate malt. Like everyone have your own, you know, follow your bliss. But that sounds gross. Yeah. Um, and then I noticed that finally my interests and the interests of some members of the microbrewing community have aligned. Yeah. Because I saw a beer, I know free ads, I literally don't remember the name of it. And the name of it, but, but like the, the, underneath the, the brand, it was like not an American light lager. Basically like wink, wink. And the bottle looks like, oh, the can yeah. looks like Coors Light. It is 3.7% alcohol and it costs $9. Why don't you just get Coors Light though? I, first of all, I love, I love a Coors Light. <laughs> But I also love to be pandered to and upsold. Yeah, I was in that zone for a while yeah. where they were, you know, it was like, it was like the beer can from Repo Man and it just said beer on it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, this is what I want. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> the people at Anheuser-Busch need me. You feel like they need you? <laughs> yeah. You stood by them during their recent public relations fiasco? I had to, I had to go back to the fam. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You just wanted to smash the heart, support them. Greenwald, did you know... Uh, that we, were we done talking about beer anxiety? No, yeah, TV anxiety? I'm, I'm trying to move through because there's a big. I want to get to this Disney thing, and I guess I just wanted to just my one comment. To yeah, you sure. In response. Yeah, I I think I understand what you're talking about, and it is a very specific streaming era sensation. Oh, I you're still talking about Modelo. I would, I would love to do that, <laughs> but you're running a tight ship today. Um, I think you kind of have to get in the right vibe for it. Sounds like you did. On, I did, on and night. I also, but you know, I think that it's. Yeah, go ahead. The only time that I have had that recently was on an airplane. On an airplane when, and this the rarest thing for me on airplanes now is not sobriety. And uh-huh. it is not um, finding 
a random movie to watch and tell you about like, as if I discovered it. Yeah. Have you ever heard of The Firm? Interstellar? Yeah, that's <laughs> not those things. The rarest thing for me when traveling is to have possession of my iPad. I know. Because I have children. I know. And so you, on, you talk such a big game about knocking stuff out on the plane I, and then immediately you're like, I've lost my iPad and I'm, <laughs> I have to watch <laughs> Bullet Train. Do you know the, the way, like, you know that, you know that, like, yeah. a, if you, Google image search Ben Affleck and the accountant. That's me downloading content before a trip that I will not be able to watch. I, I think about every streaming service. I think about all the things we've talked about, the promises I've made to you and our listeners. I prepare three to four episodes of each. Like mm-hmm. a lovely, a lovely charcuterie platter for myself. Yeah, a guy dinner. And then within seconds, which, which, which iPad has Bluey on it? Goodbye. <laughs> Mine. Anyway. Is it in but, the, is it in, are we in talks for a child's iPad yet? Oh, uh, I mean, who, who do you think is leading that charge? <laughs> Carol Lombardi. Basically. <laughs> Basically. Like, It'd it's be amazing not... if your daughter said Carol Lombardi. <laughs> my, my thing is, this is not a negotiation. Yeah, right. Like, they have a list of asks. Sure. But it's not a negotiation. Yeah, it's not a democracy. Um, anyway, I just wanted to say that I had this with... You, our favorite show, Drops of God, mm-hmm. on the brief moment on the flight recently, where I got to watch three and a half episodes, and I was in heaven. Yeah, it was a wonderful experience just rolling with a show that I don't, I don't think it's similar to Top Boy in any respect. Yeah, but it is not too demanding, nor is it unentertaining. Yeah, it's not work. It was just pleasure. Um, you gonna check that out? I finished it. Drops of God, you finished. Mm-hmm. I'll watch them this weekend. I, sw- I swear on my life that I will watch them this weekend. Let's talk about Disney. I was going to ask you about Ahsoka, but I don't really think we have anything substantive. I've, I've watched it. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, it's a very important episode to Star Wars fans, and uh, I can see why. Star Wars Rebels fans, right? Yeah, People I think, who- yeah, the, the larger Star Wars community, Rebels fans specifically, I think I think uh, it was paced better. I can see why it's like, oh, this is, this is what we were hoping for. Right. Um, I still don't think it's like really my vibe, respectfully, but, you know, I, I, I get it. I heard, mm. was my understanding that the next episode is going to be released in theaters? Like, like you have to go watch it in a movie theater? Well, I think it's also going to be released in theaters. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have a response. I guess that would be by the Disney Corporation, which yeah. segues well into this piece. So, Is Thrawn back yet? Um, He's almost, not, right? Almost. Like, it's like, it's like we're going to get him. My know? thing, guys, you know this. My thing about There was Star a lot Wars, of stuff about a map. The map apparently was very, it, it was hot. Like when, when Ahsoka tried to touch the map, it hurt. Right. And then she kind of lost left wing uh, mobility for a while in a fight that she had. Mm. And, uh, and then she winds up in the world between worlds. My, my thing is, when you look at the problems that the Star Wars franchise has had in the last 10, 15 years, and you know, reasonable people can disagree about what they were. Yeah, and, across and, the aisle. And, and, and the path forward. The spirit of bipartisanship can still exist in Star Wars. But I think one thing that we all agreed on is that really the problem with Star Wars was why only one galaxy far, far away? That is, that is. The we're root. done with stories here. Yeah. We went to the wave planet. We went to the fish planet. We went to the volcano planet. Let's move on. Yeah. We've seen it all, right? That's I, my take. I just want it to be mm-hmm. that the galaxy that they find is ours. That would be sick. And then they come to Earth. What time in human history would you like the Star Wars people to arrive? Mm. Wow, that's a great question. And do you think like it would be just good if they came now and like they could use the force to end the strike? I think now, 
would be awesome. Yeah. I just feel like everything's <laughs> going real well. Yeah. And I feel like just everyone would be really open-minded yeah. about some new friends <laughs> with stuff on their heads. You know? like a, Yeah, it's a big do, tent. Do you think if they arrived speaking in the cadence of Ahsoka, that like the TikTok generation would be here for it? <laughs> like, do you think they would be like, welcome? This lady just showed up on a spaceship and she's serving. I think, no, I, I think they'd be like, well, <laughs> they take as much time between sentences as Mitch McConnell does. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so it's not funny. Clearly. It is kind of funny. Uh, Who, who's more offended right now? <laughs> Kentucky voters or Star Wars fans? Uh, well, let's Sorry, let's everyone. let's move on we'll move to on. the House of Mouse and see if we can offend some more people. Andy, okay. twelve thousand word article. I don't know why I keep saying that. I worked at Grantland uh, <laughs> by <laughs> Alex Sherman. That was way to take accountability. That was very un Jonathan Gannon like of you. And uh, it's an amazing piece. It's basically about the last four years of Disney from the time when Bob Iger was first identifying his first round of of, of succession. Yeah, and and identifies Bob Chapek over a couple of other candidates. And, you know, I think that as someone who's always like looked at different industries, like when you're looking at a baseball manager and I, you know, I think a lot of people mm -hmm. are like, I could fucking manage the A's. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I could, what is Tony La Russa doing? I know how to work with guys like pitchers. I know how to work with guys. <laughs> um, I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt. Like, you know, there's probably a lot of nuances to this job that we don't appreciate as Monday morning quarterbacks are just like, oh, you should have done this. And it's like, well, maybe yes. there was a reason why they didn't do it. And when you read an article like this, which even saying, but, but this is no disrespect to Alex Sherman, the author of the piece, but let's just say 75% of it is dead on accurate. And some of it is hearsay. It's amazing how much this is just like everyday life. And it's just like, oh, like two mm -hmm. guys talk and they each like are passive aggressive with each other and walk out of the conversation with differing impressions of what was decided mm -hmm. and a global mega corporation gets fucked because of it or the direction to that global mega corporation get rerouted because someone suggested going for a hike yes that's the most la part <laughs> of the story i love that um andy i wanted to go through a little bit of this piece now our listeners may not have read it and so I, we're not going to go beat by beat. I also want people to check it out if they get a chance. I do think broadly people will enjoy reading this piece because of the palace intrigue of oh, it. Yeah. And also the reminder for anyone who needs it that Succession really was a documentary in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's about a family. But in just in terms of the insanely 24-7 performative nature of these positions in this era of capitalism. Yeah. That everything they do is reflected through how it will impact shareholders and what what perceptions will be, uh, and that that is the main driver of everything. Yeah. It's a wild piece. I thought we could maybe loosen up a little bit in oh. talking about this. Okay. And it's we're going to play a game. By the way, I, I, I want you to know, you didn't notice, but I want you to know that I came in prepared to do this like Bob Chapek near the end of his tenure, I'm attempting to humanize myself by not shaving. <laughs> this is a real detail yeah. from the piece. Yeah, I have to admit, I'm not a comms expert, but that was true. It did seem like he was like a, a more normal dude with the... And that's like, you know, it's kind of like why I'm growing my mustache out, you know, like... I, and I, I know that you've all often said like great mustache. I often say that. Um, and it is. But my thing was touching his face provocatively um it, it actually says that he was encouraged to grow the beard and keep it because it quote humanized him yeah i'm looking at a picture of him from that era 
and it really just makes him look like Lex Luthor. Sure. Because my, my question is, like, if you grow a beard to humanize you, but you still, like, radically shave the entire top of your head to the point where the beard starts? Yeah. I find that a little odd. That yeah. doesn't seem human. You to have me. to kind of, there has to be some some shading. You know, there has to be some contrast. Or just let it, just let everything grow and see where the chips <laughs> fall. Right? That's when you look like, <laughs> no, never mind. I will just, I want to okay. play a game. Let's with play a game. You, okay. There's a ton of great details in this piece. So I thought we could play a game called Which Bob Are You? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to read a little, a couple of just snippets of this article uh, from Alex Sherman and, and then I'm going to ask you a little bit of a question afterwards, okay? Yeah. This is from when uh, the transition is first beginning mm-hmm. or, or, or first being discussed. Iger didn't want to move out of his office. It had a mm-hmm. private shower built for former CEO Michael Eisner and a vanity for shaving. Iger, now 72, consistently woke up at 4.15 a.m. to work out and then shower. On evenings when Iger was heading out for a Disney premiere, award show, or a benefit, he would often take a second shower, this time in the office. Yeah. Iger told Chapek that he lived for those two shower days, according to people familiar with the conversation. I have to imagine that that is Bob Chapek because it sounds like something one man says to another and not like to a group of people. <laughs> it's also when it's like familiar with the conversation. You mean the other guy? My question is, Andy, mm. to ask, to find out which Bob are you? Mm-hmm. Do you live for two shower days? I got to be honest with you. I do like two showers. I gotta days. say, they're fucking awesome. They're if great. If you shower for a second time, yeah. it means that you have like experienced the yes. world in all four dimensions. You know, or, like or you have more day to come. Yeah, like yeah. you maybe you do it. Maybe you're 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 starting to get a little sleepy because you've had such a full and rich day, and you need to pep yourself back up. I mean, like if I'm showering a second time, mm-hmm. it's because I've worked out. Yeah, or it's because something happened where I was just like, man, I got like physically. I, I extended myself a little bit, and now I need to shower and get ready for the rest of the evening. Or you reek of Newports <laughs> <laughs> because the day went a little sideways on you. Kai, are we wrong about this? Like a two shower day is a, is something to be proud of. I think proud of, but also that sounds like a lot. That sounds like a tiring day. Can I just say I think for gals it's different because the hair. Yes. Yeah. I would never. I would never wash my hair twice in one day. Yeah. I, my, my wife is often like, I really would love, I, I'd love to jump in the shower, but I don't want to get my hair wet again. You know, there's, this, yes, I, I, I don't want to like mansplain here, but I've, I've heard tell there are devices um, that one could put a on one's cap. head. Yeah. You call it what you will. <laughs> okay. What were you going to say? A bath helmet? Like, <laughs> fucking old Zabar's bag. Okay. So we're both Bob Iger in this case. Yeah. And so, so Kaya is a little bit of Iger, a little bit of Chapek. I think I'm leaning Chapek okay. on this one. Okay, guys, Chapek on this one. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Next personality question. Okay. Here. This is great. I love this All game. Right. Quote: He's a risk taker who's not afraid to up. This is about Chapek. He's a risk taker who's not afraid to upend the status quo. Mm. But he's not a schmoozer by nature. Mm. Not a schmoozer by nature. Whereas Iger holds court around his Brentwood mansion, a short stroll from celebrities, producers, super agents, and other Disney executives. Mm-hmm. Chapek lives about an hour's drive from downtown Los Angeles in Westlake Village. That's so wild. Iger enjoys yachting. Chapek is more of a powerboating and kayaking kind of guy. Are you more of a Brentwood yacht man or a Westlake Village kayaker? I think we all know the answer to this. I don't know. You don't know about me? I mean, I'm an Iger. Uh, okay. I, I, am I not... think aspirationally, yeah. we're Igers. But as the other evening shows, mm. when we refused although only five minutes from each other, mm. refuse to to go get drinks with one another, perhaps there's a little Chapek inside. 
Um, oh, like more of a homebody in yeah, that sense? Yeah, just well, a quiet the, kayaker. There's a lot to parse here because the thing is, I am not uh, a bold risk taker in business or in life. <laughs> I, love, I love to schmooze. I would yeah, much rather talk schmoozer. than yeah. work, yeah. Uh, as evidenced by my robust <laughs> podcasting career. And um, that, yeah, that I, this, is, this, is, this is an easy one for me. Also, I hate a long commute. And where Chapek lives is real Which far is away. ironic because I, I know this about you. You yeah. spend 94% of your life in a car. But, but that's, that's, that's children-based. That's a, that's a children-related metric. Yeah. A lot of ferrying. Um, okay, Kaya, what are you here? Do you like to... I keep thinking... Are you a schmoozer or a homebody? I think I'm more of a schmoozer, and I'm definitely more inclined to the Brentwood lifestyle than yeah. the Westlake Village lifestyle. Okay. I've never actually been to Westlake Village, if you, I have to be honest. There's not a lot going on there. George Genkis teaches golf there, I think, which would be very attractive to me. Whom? George Genkis, he's sort of the wizard of Westlake. He, he just, like, lays hands on you, as it said, and, and really fixes your swing. Oh, for golf. And it's a lot of, like, pelvis thrusting. Yeah, again, you keep confusing me about what this man does Genkis, for you. Genkis, like, if you watch his videos, it'll change nope. your life. No, I'm good. And he talks about getting external. Okay. Okay. So, you know, sometimes <laughs> I do like it. I, I assume we have a, up until this week anyway, a fairly robust listenership. But sometimes we just do the podcast for Tim Simons. <laughs> we just did it again there. And by the way, asking Kaya what kind of person she is when she's just not even a fortnight removed from dining at 11 p.m. every night and swanning around. No, Kaya's Instagram leans Iger. I just yeah. didn't know if there was like a, a chapek inside where she's just like, honestly, I'd rather just be, it just be me in a kayak and then home home before dark. Kayaking is really hard. Kayaking. It takes like a lot of energy. It's, it's much tougher than it looks. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Okay, last one. Last personality question. Mm-hmm. Iger doesn't mention Chapek once in his 2019 autobiography outside of the prologue. Even though by then, Chapek was at least tentatively in line to be Iger's preferred successor. Mm-hmm. For comparison, mm-hmm. Iger spends more than five pages of his 236-page book discussing Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah. Andy. Yeah. Who would get mentioned more in your autobiography, me or Twin Peaks? That's the right framing of that question. I'd, I'd choose not to answer now in order to preserve you this podcast. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I, mean, I love Twin Peaks. Uh, you know, what, don't make me choose between the great loves of my life. I can only assume that Kaya, we'd have to probably, I don't know if Kaya is much of a Twin Peaks fan, but we would substitute in Below Deck for Twin Peaks. And then I guess yeah. the watch for us, for me, right? Yeah, we're not. We're getting a footnote, maybe. In the Kaya autobiography, would you say that your production on The Watch or your enjoyment of the show Below Deck gets... Of course, my production of The Watch. Yes. This is the most Chris, meaningful experience of my life. Don't. This is schmoozing. <laughs> this is schmoozing. <laughs> Kaya is a young woman with many talents yeah. and a long career ahead of her that she will not remember this. No, I know. With I know. good reason. And she, she only showers once more... a day, so she has all this time on her hands. That's so right. it's great. But but jokes, is this, this was a great bit. I loved it. I always thought I was more of a bakish, but apparently when it comes to Bob's, You're Iger. I'm an Iger. The other um, thing that we have to mention, and I don't know if I actually knew this, mm-hmm. but uh, just in terms of Iger's place in the watch's firmament, mm. is we've often joked about Kaya dropped the, the Iger counter music mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we play the Chernobyl music. Bob Iger has a poster of the Iger Sanction, the Clint Eastwood movie, in his office with the changed to I-G-E-R. Of E-I-G-E-R. Yeah, so Bob's in on the joke. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He seems 
seems he's schmoozing. People love him. He makes, you know, well, sometimes he makes off-color jokes as detailed in this yes. piece. Yeah. I, I would say what was interesting about the story was ultimately what put Chapek in trouble is what the perception was in around town that he was not creatively minded and he was not in he did not have those connections that Iger did. It's a did. relationships business. It's a relationships business and yeah. as evidenced by things like the Scarlett Johansson screw up with the, you know, the, the public statement that was excoriating her for being mad yeah. about the putting Black Blaming Widow her on. her for COVID, essentially. On, yeah, I mean, that was an insane statement. Yeah. What we learned in the piece is that the reason the statement was insane was because the two Bobs wouldn't speak to each other and yeah. so neither one said this is too much. They both they were both like, yeah, it. the statement looks good but both thought the other was like responsible for it. So of. that's how those things happened. But the creative stuff was true and and then he clearly like just overhired and added layers of bureaucracy to everything in ways that were caused dysfunction. But it does seem when you read the piece that the actual reason why he was booted and when he was booted was that he was in apparently complete denial about what the earnings report at the end of last year would mean for the company stock. Yes. And but, it does sound like that went sideways on him with the actual earnings report where I believe Christine McCarthy was yes. the CFO kind of was like they rehearsed their presentation for quite a while and then she went out there and kind of went rogue one on him. Yeah, and no, was the, like, the, there's some real Carolina and Hugo and like whose person yeah, is yeah, whose yeah. intrigue within the piece. But I, I, I just mean that like for all the reasons that we thought this happened, we were, very, I mean, we, like the town, Matt Bellany and, you know, people who cover this business more on, on that side of the ball more thoroughly were right broad strokes but the fact that it really does seem to come down to the fact that he was like we're going to be fine mm -hmm. and they were not fine well here's the thing i so i read this whole thing and but beyond it just being like an amazing amazingly detailed account mm -hmm. of this bungled transfer of power and of course Iger comes back into the the ceo chair spectacularly and uh, you know chapex fired and isn't even allowed to like send out a goodbye email and all this stuff uh it's an amazingly vivid portrait of a company going through the last four years and was incredibly evocative of the way COVID changed everything. And it made me all the more stunned. And frankly, I can't, I find it so galling that the studios are willingly re-entering this state of things that they were experiencing during COVID. You would think that if you had gone through the COVID shutdowns yeah. and gone through the need to shut down parks and shut down production and all of the turmoil that was caused by putting films on mm -hmm. streaming services, which while somewhat medicinal for people to be like, oh, good, a, a new movie is out on Friday on, on Max or on Disney, like completely hamstrung the industry, obviously, and like caused this huge fracture within the business in terms of people's like levels of trust and torpedoed theatrical until Top Gun and then later yeah. Barbenheimer kind of revived it. The idea of walking back into this, the fact that we opened this podcast up with like, if they don't start rolling in January, we're not going to have summer movies and like mm -hmm. they're starting to move stuff around because they don't know when anybody's going to be able to promote something and you know, Agatha got the coven of whatever got moved to late 24. That which was so wild. Essentially, is like, oh, you see, the continuity of these things now is not in any way like that was part of the value add of the MCUs. You had right. to watch everything because to understand the next thing you needed to have seen the stinger at the end of Loki. But like, the fact that they are blindly walking back into the abyss after having gone through a once-in-a-millennia kind of experience is 
fucking crazy. It's, it's crazy. crazy, man. And I just like I I can't help but like there's a line here in the piece that I thought is basically the crux of the issue facing modern mass storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm coming off of reading a bunch of Richard Linklater interviews in Deadline and Hollywood Reporter that are honestly like heartbreaking to yeah. read him talk about like where we're at as a, a storytelling industry and what happened to independent cinema and honestly what also happened to the brains of the a new generation of consumers who were just basically like, yeah, movies and books don't really matter to me, mm-hmm. you know? But this is this line from Sherman's piece that I thought was really interesting. Companies such as Netflix, Amazon, and Apple also separate distribution divisions from content creation. So there's this whole section of the piece about how Chapex is essentially trying to bifurcate uh, Disney into like there's operations and there's editorial. Like you could even right. Think, so so historically at Disney, if you were the head of a division, if you're Alan Horn or whatever, at yeah. movies or Dana Walden now, or formerly Dana Walden and Peter Rice at the television side of it, they commissioned the work. Through their lieutenants, and set the budget, set the budgets for the work, and then decided how to present the work. It yes. was going. This was a streaming show. This was going to be a mini series event, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. What Chapek did was say that you guys um, create you you guys bake the bread and deliver them to the warehouse, and then we'll put them on. We'll shelves. figure out how to get it on the truck and it, take it to the store. It will yeah. be up to us yeah. to decide what movies and TV shows go where, when, and how. Okay, so here's here's the line: companies such as Netflix, Amazon, and Apple also separate distribution divisions from content creation. So that's obviously like you're mirroring these tech giants. And Chapek hoped that adopting a similar structure would move Disney away from its legacy media habits. Investors valued Netflix far higher than legacy media because of its growth profile. Yeah. If Chapek could get investors to view Disney as technology as a technology company, they might reward him with a share price multiple bump. People fucking love Disney. I know. They go Actual to people. Disney World. Their kids shape their identities around Disney characters. Why do you need a growth profile? There it is. What is, like, this is the thing. It's like, why do you, you have Snow White. Yeah. <laughs> you have Iron Man. Make more of that. You know, like, why are you, like, we need to be in the metaverse. Why do they need to be a tech company? Well, everything needs to be something more than it is. Am I being naive? No, I mean this is this is also look. This isn't this isn't a modern business story. This is an American story that everybody needs to be able to do everything and be good at everything, and it always needs to be more, more, more. It's never about doing one good thing. It's never about being present with anything. But the insanity of this—that we're being run by the guy from like what's like light shed, like the analysts who are like, well, I don't think that Apple phone is going to be good, and then the market changes. Right. Like that's who's dictating everything. And I'm, I'm old enough to remember stories that said Netflix was in a precarious position going forward because for as much as it knew how to get people watching things and deliver the content to people's homes, it didn't have any brands. It didn't have any IP. Right. It didn't have any personal connection uh, that caused people to love it. Yeah. It didn't have any of the insurance that provides when there are strikes or when times get tough so that they don't have cruise lines and amusement parks and toys. Um, that was a problem. And that was what was going to get Disney through. And that was, I guess, essentially Iger's strategy when he just bought all the characters yeah. during the last few years of his steward, first stewardship. That's why you see Netflix over the last few years trying to make Stranger Things a bigger thing than it is. It's why they do like comedy festivals and... Um, pop-up restaurants. They're trying there's like to the Tadum thing where it's like supposed to be there. I mean, it's essentially their upfronts, right? But like it's... But they're trying yeah. to make themselves a 
personality to, to buy themselves what these other legacy companies have had. And then there was a great restructuring where the biggest problem that these content companies had is that they weren't Microsoft in 1983 or Amazon in 2001, that they weren't limitless growth opportunities for shareholders. And so how are they going to become that? Because no one can just be what they are. Yeah. Um, And then it, then it reverses again based on the whims of the market. And it's, it's bad for everybody. It's bad for everybody. Like it, it, was it bad that, that JPEG reorganized everything and completely changed the structure of distribution and creation of the company? Probably. Sure. Is it better that Iger undid it all? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, it's, it's pretty unclear. And I think we are also entering a, a moment where there is no, in any of these companies, we're seeing it in the strike and we're just seeing it as we stare down the barrel of the uncertain future that whatever these companies are, uh, they don't make sense in any traditional understanding of, of companies. And as it says in the CNBC piece, probably the biggest problem that Disney faces existentially isn't any of the reorgs we're talking about. It's that only Bob Iger is alive who is the person who can do this job, the job that he created. Mm-hmm. Only he has the talent relationships and the and the understanding of... Only he of, can be the senator from Kentucky. Literally, that's the I case. That is, and that's, that's kind of where I was going with it, that if you don't train people, if you don't consider your company to be like a living organism that has value separate and apart of its shareholder value, then what are you? Yeah. You're... Captain of the Demeter. Well, and you're, I also you're, what, think that, like, you're captain of the Demeter. Yeah, right. The, and like the other issue here, I mean, to your point, I mentioned the link later interviews that he's been doing. He's got this film Hitman that's been playing at festivals uh, with Glenn Powell, and it's supposed to be really good. But he's obviously the one of the founding fathers of the independent cinema movie industry that blossomed in, in the mm-hmm. '90s when we were kind of coming of age and seeing films like Slacker and and Before Sunrise kind of changed the way we. Th- thought about our generation's ability to make art, I think, in a, in a lot of ways. So he he gives this quote, and Linklater's, like, been a studio director. He's he's done remakes. He's done... He's not, like, a... He's not a shrinking violet, like, where he's, like, you know, scandalized by certain things. But he, he, he said this. He said, quote, you think maybe we should retrench and look at what worked before. Is it against the law to try and craft a greatest hits of the past and go back to a paradigm that used to work? Is that so bad? What was the company whose motto was move fast and break things? Yeah, well, that's where where we are. It's broken. Thanks. I hope your stock price went up a bunch and that you made a lot of money that you selfishly hoarded hoarded in some offshore account. Go create a village for yourself in New Zealand. He's not a bomb thrower either. If you talk to him, he's like one of the most laid back. He came on to do. Yeah, I talked to him for everybody wants him. We talked about baseball. He was great. I did an event with him with our friend Melissa's book about Days and yeah. Confused. Great book, by the way. People should check it out. Um, he's not that guy. I mean, he is that. We've all become that guy. But that's guy. just such a good, you know, that is that is looking at, hey, regardless of your feelings about Disney and, and its sort of monopoly on childhood or whatever, mm-hmm. it's like there are some pretty indelible stories and characters involved in that. And they had for years shown that they were able to keep manufacturing new new mythologies for people to be invested in. And I think one of the things that you've seen over the last couple of years is like this precipitous quality drop-off. Well, that's also a shift because what you're speaking to generationally with Disney was, yeah, there are a lot of characters that people came to fall in love with, but they fell in love with the characters because of the creativity of of the creators and of the stories that were poured, the characters were in service to, right? And then the shift with these giant billion-dollar acquisitions of IP was that we were servicing the IP. 
you have to keep the ball in the air. I mean, literally, in some cases, like if Sony ever stopped developing Spider-Man content, Marvel would get it back. Right. So they cannot stop doing that. It's just a very, very different way of doing business that people have heard us talk about for 10 years in, in increasingly alarming or alarmist terms, for sure. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the spirit of Disney isn't in flooding the zone with Iron Man spinoffs. Yeah. That's not what people talk about. Um, it's scarcity sometimes. I mean, like you think about the way they used to, re- re- you know, put out VHS tapes and then pull them from shelves to, you know, essentially create like thirst, you know, like they, they, they would uh, like do controlled droughts. I, I think that's probably coming back. I yeah. think that that's, that's, that's very likely to come back. And that was a Bob Chapek strategy. So I don't know how, what that, that means for Disney Plus subscriber numbers. If they and start. Another huge detail in this piece is like the sort of falling short of projections. And there's even like an, a, you wouldn't even believe it if you read it moment in the piece where Sherman says like, they're a certain number, but only at this number if you subtract India. And it's like the two fucking Indias. It, it is. thing from, from success. They're always taking out India. It's always the numbers with India and without India. Yeah. And then there's the other India. I don't know, man. I just thought that the Linklater quotes really dovetailed nicely into this Sherman piece. And I thought that the Sherman piece was gripping, but also like so illuminating and, and representative of like where we find ourselves, where it's like we have somehow driven this this car into the ocean you know yeah and 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 the moments you know in culture but also the moments in things like our podcast that reflect culture where we can just be just open-hearted and celebratory like after the barbenheimer weekend are fewer and farther between yeah it's not complicated uh it's hard to make good things but it's not complicated but all of these other business factors have made it almost impossibly complicated uh, should we wrap up by talking a little bit about reservation dogs? You got you know, what else is on your agenda? I thought you, you were talking about you had this big PowerPoint. You had a bunch of stuff. That was it. That was it. Walking through Alex Sherman's piece. Can talking I talk about Top Boy? You don't want to talk about the Nintendo news I sent you. <laughs> don't. That's popular. People want to hear about that. It actually is semi relevant. I did want to. I, did, I mean, if I got to talk about Top Boy, you could talk about Zelda. I, I'm not going to talk about Zelda per se, although I would love to. I I did send you this link because I do think it's interesting in in regards to the way the, the way the industry is moving anyway, which is to say this. Six years ago, yeah. n- the Nintendo Corporation released the, the first of this, n- this, this iteration of Zelda games, Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild, yeah. One of, if not the best games ever made. Total paradigm changer. Minted money for the company. And, and it was then, released in conjunction with the release of the Switch? Uh, it was much? around the same time okay. as the Switch, yes. It was, I don't think it was a launch title, but it was, it was what sold the Switch. That in the in Mario Kart, and um, after a year or so of that game, which is just almost unlimited, how much you can do with it, they released a DLC. Which that's not, I did not know what that was, mm-hmm. but I learned it's like an upgrade, pack, downloadable right? content. Yeah, right. so you you pay a little more money, you pay an extra twenty bucks, and then you have access. You download, and suddenly your game has more stuff to do. Yeah, right. Um, and that made a mint, and it kept the interest in the game going, and it sustained it until Tears of the Kingdom was released. And when Tears of the Kingdom was released, everyone's like, oh my God, how did they make this so much bigger, exponentially bigger, et cetera, et cetera. Think how much fun it'll be in 18 months when they release even more. Because that's what everyone does. You want to squeeze every last profit dollar out of every success that you have. And the producers of the game gave an interview in Japanese that was then like quickly uh, 
translated and disseminated basically where they say, no, we're done. We're done. This Tears of the Kingdom actually started as more additional content because it's the same world, but with a huge world in the sky and huge world underground. And no spoilers. We, we feel like we've reached the limits of the story and it's been a beautiful experience or whatever, but we want to try something new. And the response to that is obviously people gnashing their teeth, being like, I want more, I want more, I want more. Yeah. But then there's the other half of the, the reaction where people are like, how could they leave a billion dollars in profit on the table like this? And I'm just like, maybe they should. So, and maybe that's this is not at all thing. tied to they're going to do another switch. And they then, are. And there's going to be a new... there be a new Zelda? Yes. Okay. Basically what they're saying, they're not like saying, they're not, yeah, they're, they're not saying we're, we're retiring from making art because yeah. we've reached the pinnacle of our craft. They are absolutely rerouting their entire team to developing something that we won't know about for a number of years that will be a whole right, reimagination, right. reinvention of this for whatever comes after the Switch in a year or two. Yes, this is not without its um, commercial um, backstory or at least you know shenanigans behind the scenes. But I, I just found that very refreshing, especially in light of what we're talking about, about everything being a volume business to squeeze everything of profit out of it. That is a company being like, we have made something that was meaningful for us and for the consumer, and we are going to now devote our energies to doing something new. And I, I don't think CEOs get rewarded for that kind of talk, right? Like, mm -hmm. like just uh, not trying to be empathy for the CEO, but that is not something that you could say if you were the head of Warner Brothers Discovery. Right. You could not say you know, we really feel like... We feel um, like Harry Potter. They, we told the story. We told the story in the movies Lord of the Rings, made. like, perfect trilogy. Let's just move on. Done. Yeah. You cannot say that. Yeah. Your job is to walk around and pick up the desiccated car of things that have been left around and just, like, try to rattle them for a little bit more juice. But I found that... I don't know. I found that interesting. It is really interesting. I... I, I always get like uh, console anxiety whenever I think about buying like a new console. Like, am I buying the like the last month of right. the PS whatever before they come up no. with a new one? Chris, you're, you, you're misunderstanding something. Being an old guy is awesome in this because who cares? <laughs> Do you think I care about frame rate? Yeah, I or guess graphics? Not. Yeah, I actually, there is, I, I think FIFA's gotten too good. Right. Or like, it's trying to mirror. Like, I don't want it to actually be as hard as playing soccer. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yes. And so now they're like, you have to train. You have to do practice. And I'm like, I don't want to do practice. You're an adult with a job. Yeah, I want to buy Mbappe for Liverpool. Yes. And then I want to win 3-1 every match. Yes. I don't want to get too easy. I, but I don't want to lose. The, I finally gave it, like, my children playing this Nintendo. Yes, my children play it. Was after almost a full calendar year of me being like, I know that this Nintendo 64 that I found in an old backpack in the closet just reboots every 45 seconds. But during those 45 seconds, it's we really could have fun. a lot of fun yeah, playing right. Perfect Dark. Right. You know, they were not... <laughs> you, you let your kids play Perfect Dark. Okay, so I, I did let them play... I, got it, I brought it out for Mario Kart, which I thought really peaked yeah. with the 30-year-old system that I had it for. But then the other, they were eventually they grew bored of having to restart. Do you know what? And they're I like, what are these other cartridges? And one of them was Perfect Dark, and they were traumatized. I had an experience when I was a child that I think was very formative in this regard. Okay, I remember my parents were were not very strict about stuff, but I think mm -hmm. they encouraged healthy habits, That's uh, good. which I then disregarded once I hit like fifteen. But like, and they, apparently you're continuing that disregard <laughs> with FIFA. You don't want to train. 
you don't want to do things the right way. That's just not why I play video games. Okay. All right. Fucking make sure guys' hamstrings work. Like, or like that they're eating plant-based. Yeah, I, and that's another thing is you have to have like injury sliders set right where you're like, yeah, every once in a while, I'd love to see a guy like twist an ankle so I have to bring in a different fullback. But like, I don't want like the dude I just paid a world record transfer fee to like blow his ACL out. Like that's that happens. It's fucking bullshit. But uh, when I was a kid, I remember hanging out with like some other children, and uh, one day I was like eating an apple as like my dessert, mm. and the kid was like, "Nice apple." <laughs> <You know? laughs> And I was like, well, my mom says it's like basically like this. An apple can be as sweet as dessert. And this kid was like, it's not. And he just showed me his Twix. <laughs> That's so and you know what? The kid was right. Twixes are better than apples. That's so wild. You, you learned about the world that day. But I was just like, yeah, you know, like I understand what you're saying where we old guys don't have to worry about console upgrades or whatever. But sometimes you know the Twix is out there. Okay, but do you also understand? Like, I don't want to like. I I think that your own now person- that Twix did not cost five hundred and seventy five dollars <laughs> in today's dollars. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to lead you to this observation. I think you would get there on your own, like yeah. maybe after we record. But there is a corollary here to the Watch Podcast, where I'm like, <laughs> this show about wine is really really interesting and inclusive about people's taste experience and the value of aestheticism. And you're like, on Lioness, someone ripped someone else's lungs out of their body. Like, you realize that, right? Like, your Twix lifestyle is tearing us apart. No, I think that I'm generally... Would you say that I'm the one who's like, I'm like disregarding your taste? No, no, but I think you are perhaps not incorrectly saying that just because it's good for us doesn't mean it's fine. Oh, yeah, fun. I'm like... Right. You're, you're a hedonist. Yeah, if Taylor Sheridan was going to make drops of God, he would have made drops of God. <laughs> exactly. The drops of God in a Taylor Sheridan show are the arterial blood. <laughs> yeah, spilling out of a terrorist financier's throat. Should we just also mention, since we've steered back to your favorite topic, one of my favorite subplots of the podcast is that apparently for the last month, people have been thinking you've, you've been calling talking about a show called Linus. I disagree. I heard you... Really, really add some mustard to the O today. I, I just want to say, I dis, I frankly disagree. You, you just know, don't think I, that's I right. I mispronounce certain things. Mm. There are certain things I trip over. To me, I have never said Linus. I say lioness. Don't I? I, I I'm not, Kyle, do you have an opinion on this? Do you think that he's leading us down the, the Charles Schultz highway? I mean, I've heard lioness loud and clear every yeah. time. But you know, those car speakers, those tinny <laughs> yeah. Also, we know what he's saying. AirPods. So we're, we're, yeah. we're hearing what we Maybe expect Maybe what you guys need to do is upgrade your sound system. Do you know that <laughs> every time now that you say it, I think about people thinking you're saying Linus. And uh-huh. then I think about the greatest rap simile of the last 25 years, which is when Pusha just said the words, security blanket of cocaine, I am Linus. Which is maybe my favorite lyric. Uh, <laughs> he really said that. That's so crazy. That's so crazy. Okay. Uh, Res Dogs. Yeah, sure. Episode seven. Uh-huh. Written by Devery Jacobs. No, directed by. Directed Directorial by. debut. Bravo. It's a beautifully shot episode. I believe she is also one of those directors for Echo. I know she's in Echo. I think she may have directed she might have an been. episode or two of Echo. Yeah. And this is, you know, we called it out every time we can. Like, this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is when we talked to Chris Storr about the bear and you're saying AO wanted to direct and so she was... Uh, produce, yeah. And, she, she, she acted as like a producer for... And she was shadowing. 
um, on the, I was going to say infamous, not infamous, now quite famous Christmas episode of season two of The Bear, and she'll be directing in season three. That's awesome. Uh, She also was a writer on the show. I do think that Reservation Dogs, a show that we adore, is not, I I wish there were more things for us to be talking about at this time, Mm -hmm. honestly, because in a in a vacuum of other content like i don't i don't think this episode needs a full podcast breakdown if in fact for as lovely and as uh gentle and entertaining as it was i found it slight if only because and i love sarah podemski who plays rita i was glad she's she so got another showcase yeah. she's just a phenomenal performer um if only because the reservation dogs episode where a character is at a crossroads or experiencing some sort of um, this stuck paralysis and then a spirit shows up and in the first act freaks them out and then in the second act helps them move on. Mm-hmm. We've been doing that. We've seen it. And so simply from a storytelling point of view, I was, I'm always entertained, but I was not elevated by this episode. Yeah, I thought, uh, I thought it had some beautiful moments. You know, and I actually the the relationship between Rita and Bev is so funny. You know, like when they're yes. they're, in, they're interacting about needing to be to have an appointment to see the therapist is just a, a really cracked me up. Um, and I really admire the decision to make I think a season that feels like an epilogue rather than a final chapter. Oh, I like that. Yeah. But in that same sense, I do feel like a lot of the season has been written in italics. You know, it's like the aftermath of these kids going to California and coming back. And the, even the episodic structure of the season, you could shuffle it largely. Like they, these episodes could kind of come in whatever order that they, like it doesn't necessarily feel linear to me, which is totally fine. It's just one of those things where when you're watching it and you're like, my one of my favorite shows of the last five years is back. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. I'm still waiting to see the star in the sky that's like, this is where this show is going. But maybe that's like... It's, maybe not, that, it's not really going. That's it, a basic it, concept of it. It's yeah. it, it sort of... It, it, I think it's very revealing when you think about what more... How much further did these characters have to go to reach a place of peace or openness to the next part of their lives? And thus far through seven, Bear needed it. Mm-hmm. And that was the first two episodes of the season. Since now he's just watching recipe content creators on TikTok Same, and chopping probably. up. Yeah. I know. I wondered if you were going to connect with that moment. I don't think that TikTok is a really in- useful that's, that's instruction. I mean, platform. no, it's, it's, I'm sure it's serious. You like recipes. But they, when yeah. they're just like, here's a pepper, and now the pepper is perfectly chopped in the next cut, I'm like, you don't understand my struggle. You also like recipes that start with three to four paragraphs about the cook's backstory <laughs> and like their own emotional journey towards finding peppers. Like that's the type. That's your generation's. Yeah. Um, Did you see that relationship uh, with recipes? The, you know, like that New Yorker piece. I think it was was it the New Yorker or the New York Times Magazine, where it's like people in prison playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, I saw that, and the, it opens with like the like when I was in prison for murder, I was playing D anD. d It's not funny, but somebody was like every recipe blog ever, and it's the first paragraph <laughs> of the prison. That's true, yeah. and it's like has nothing to do with making. <laughs> Like, uh, you know, a stew. No, when I was in prison for murder, I played Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, and that's how I arrived at making avocado toast. Also, three eggs. Um, But other than those bear episodes, there was the cheese episode, 
which moved him forward a Somebody little bit. Somebody had a tweet about that, by the way. I can't remember if I said that. That wasn't my joke. Somebody fired off a tweet? Yeah. I'm glad people are still doing that. Yeah. The year of our Lord 23. Yeah. But Laura Dannon and, you know, the Willie Jack thing seems to be happening in the background. Hopefully there's an episode of her and Fixco and her becoming a medicine per- medicine uh-huh. woman is forthcoming. But everybody seems okay, which, I, which, which is, I, I guess, I don't know, we keep sort of debating the same points because I think we're curious about where Sterling is going to take us in these last three episodes. And there are only three left. It, it's weird. Like, I, this level of contentment would suit maybe a show that was that was going to run five more years, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I I find that I'm I while watching, I'm always like, this is nice, and I like this, or this is thought provoking, mm-hmm. and I like this, or moving, and I like this. And then in retrospect, after the episode's over, and I think about some of the like, there's a moment in this previous in this last episode where you can feel how. They're essentially shooting and playing the scene but when Rita comes in and Bear's making her dinner. It's the version of Re- Reservation Dogs where the show is about Rita. Like they mm-hmm. basically shoot Bear like oh yeah, like do- she's like he's Rita. Like he's a a little bit more of a supporting character, a little bit more of somebody who's there to be like, "How is your day?" and stuff like that. And they've that. done that throughout. This and I really liked series. that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But that's actually something that occurs to me somewhat after the fact of watching, mm-hmm. you know, and it's in that way, I think it's more of a ruminative uh, season, you know, and I think that that's, that's great. I'm fascinated to know what he's going to do in the last three episodes. Can I, before we get off today, can I, can I just take your temperature on the trailer? Yeah, you can. I want to ask you about a trailer. I think the movie did just premiere. I don't know if it was in Venice or Telluride. Yes, um, it, it played at Telluride. Uh, this is a movie called The Bike Riders. It's the film, aside from Ferrari, that mm-hmm. I am most looking forward to because oh. I'm a huge Jeff Nichols fan. So Jeff Nichols is a really, really good filmmaker. Yes. Made Midnight Special, which I, I liked a lot. Yeah. Mud, um, Shotgun Stories, Take Shelter, like awesome director. I have to be honest with you. This, this, and I need, I, 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 I there's a version of this where I'm, I just want to be open because a friend sent me this trailer it's like, look how good this looks. And I have to be honest with you. Maybe this is just strike fatigue. Maybe it's just silly season. But I thought it was a parody. I thought it was a Saturday Night Live skit. Genuinely. Because mm-hmm. you watch this trailer and the great Tom Hardy is doing a Marlon Brando imitation. The, I have no idea if he's great, Austin Butler is doing a James Dean imitation. Mm-hmm. And then I thought they did the Irishman technology on Tina Fey <laughs> to make the third lead in the movie. Jodie Comer. One of our great actresses yeah. is in this, and I dare you watch this trailer and tell me it's not Tina Fey. I don't think you should watch trailers anymore. That's my takeaway. I think this is fair. This movie might be great. Because you watched the Barbie trailer and you were like, Greta Gerwig's career is effectively dead. I said that. Yes. I'm, I you own it. You watched the Ferrari trailer and you were I like- I said it was good. You were like doing Super Mario voices and being like, you like well, that shit? You like little cars? <laughs> okay, I didn't, I didn't see that. You, I, and now you're watching the bike riders. This trailer's trailer. insane. I don't think that they made the best musical cue choice. Right. Uh, it's Stones. And I think it is, I, without having seen the film, I think being thrown into the deep end with Jodie Comer's accent work is, is interesting. Here's why I got nervous. First of all, the cast of this movie is insane. It, it goes so deep because... Jeff Nichols, regular Michael Shannon is in it. Um, Mike Faist is in it. I saw Mike Faist naked. 
you you saw him naked recently? Yeah, on uh, stage in London, he he gets naked in Brokeback Mountain. He was in it with Lucas Hedges. I didn't know you saw that. Why do you I, talk about your theater adventures? On I this did podcast tell you. I, I also, yeah. Go ahead. You told Keep me continue. on the podcast. I did. Damon Harriman, Boyd, our guy Boyd Holbrook is in it. Yeah. Um, great stuff. I just only seen one of those guys naked though in real life. So far, <laughs> so far. Why you? Why you got to? The next few years of your life are going to be beautiful. You're yeah. going to be writing the great American like, novel. People will be calling me the way Barry Keegan called the Top Boy guys. <laughs> They're like, I just want to be naked for you. <laughs> I'm just down to get. I'm down to party. <laughs> you just, you just want to like take off another of the checklist. <laughs> yeah. Um. What what a calling you found your way. <laughs> you stumbled into. Um. It just strikes me as one of those things where because Jodie Comer, yeah. English. Right? Yeah. Austin Butler, Australian. Are you doing the like Tom Hardy. Uh, Ben Select thing where you just like name a bunch of players? <laughs> I'm doing the thing where I'm like, my vibe from this trailer is nobody told them to dial it back. They are all I just but acting you, you like said seen... the same thing about Barbie. So let me be wrong. Let me just tell you. Okay. So this podcast but you don't have to be wrong publicly. You could be you could be like, this is a cool trailer. I can't wait to see the movie. Before we started, <laughs> I was saying that's not something I want to talk about on the podcast thing to be redacted and Chris is like everything is content brother no I didn't say so you like want to be a professional podcast yeah no because I want I want to I want I'm okay being wrong because maybe this podcast is really for the marketing I'm trying to save you from yourself in the same way that you think that perhaps that moment that Madeline moment with a Twix and an apple has sent yeah. me on this no, path that led I, me to not watching Chris, Drops of God this is when we switch roles this is why we keep people guessing because this is when you're highbrow you're like you know what like just let the content be like let the art come to you and I'm like Joe Popcorn with a limited amount of time here and this trailer looks dumb AF <laughs> literally this looks real dumb I'm like everyone's like hey let's all pretend to be in a movie that's already been made 20 times what are we doing why did they make this movie uh, I think it looks cool why? Because What's I like cool guys it? on motorcycles. Okay, I don't know what the fuck you need from me. You <laughs> like them because there's a chance they'll get naked. <laughs> That's, let's finally unite the streams here and be honest. Right? <laughs> Kai, did you watch this trailer? Will you watch it? She says yes. She says yes. I, I, I was just really confused by this. I'm Clearly glad we this saved is this for passion. the end of the Clearly pod. this is a passion project, but when she's just like, I don't know what to do about Benny, he's always stabbing people on his on his bike. Yeah, and Tom Hardy's like, "You want to be a bike?" I think rider? there's a chance. There's Come a on. chance that that scene could be like one scene in the whole movie. I don't know that this movie is about Jodie Comer. I think maybe that's a framing device. You know, it's like she's telling Mike Face, a journalist, about these guys, these bike riders. Yeah, it just seems relevant. You know, it just seems like really in the way like all good period pieces are reflections of our current era. Sometimes people today just want to ride bikes too. What's the last trailer you saw that you were like, "God damn, that's awesome"? The Killer. Oh yeah, but then it came out of Venice. Everyone was like, "This isn't." Did good. you did you see the the article that's like the music for the killer is just Smith songs? Yes. What a fucking gangster! Are I you know. kidding me? Actually, you want to know another trailer? This is this is really going to bring. Yeah, do for the Mitsuyaki Mits. How dare you! I saw that they made a trailer for that, and they're not supposed to, right? Miyazaki, yeah. Miyazaki, they're not supposed to do that. Well, <laughs> in Japan, they didn't do it. For for you know for our trailer, but I saw like it went up, and everybody was like, "That's not what he wanted." That's yeah, that's right. Okay. Did you watch the trailer? Yeah, I defied the master. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, like when Miyazaki content comes out, I watch it. Unlike unlike some people on this podcast who are just obsessed with bike riding in Chicago in questionable Chicago accents. <laughs> I have my interests. Okay. Well, the Miyazaki movie looks better than this one. Uh I'm not gonna die on anti bike rider hill. I just wanna like is take the a Miyazaki look movie at the, about death. Aren't they all? 
I, I wouldn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> yeah. um, what a good pod today. I yeah. thought we, I mean, I thought we were pretty thorough mm-hmm. and detail oriented, which is sometimes not my strength. No, you were really prepared. I appreciate that. Uh, thanks to Kaya McMullen for producing us and for participating in which Bob are you? I think we established that she's an Iger. Uh, Didn't we establish we're all Igers? But you, uh, but you're you're an Iger with a Chapek rising. I think I'm 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 like more Chapek than I'd like to admit. I think mm. I'm aspirationally Iger and probably in practice more of a Chapek. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think Although I think fair. I'm pretty personable. Yeah, I don't think you need to because one of the details about the, oh, it wasn't about him, but it was about Chapek's lieutenant Kareem Daniel, who needed the PR team to like was it like tell him how to talk to people. Did you also? Parties? There's also the part where like they're playing in a company softball game and Kareem Daniels fucking steamrolls Chapek at first base. Yeah. But also... <laughs> He's got that dog in him. <laughs> didn't, like, Skipper tear an ACL playing competitive softball? He ruptured softball? his Achilles, yeah. Playing God. volleyball. I wouldn't... I couldn't survive in You these. don't participate in group activities, really. Is that true? Yeah, if we had, like, a Ringer Podcast Network baseball, like, softball league, would you play in it? Could I invoice for it? <laughs> All right, it's been the watch. Thanks to Kai <laughs> for producing... <laughs> We'll be back on Monday with uh, probably some winning time, I would imagine. Maybe some DOG, some drops of God. Can I do some more bike riders imitations? If I get if I get that dog in me, that drops of God in me, will you be excited? DOG, yeah. You got some dog in you. We <laughs> but do did I it. do I have to watch all of it? Like, can I just watch like two? Yes. But Are I you going to be like, no, the good one is five? No, you got to watch two. Okay. You got to watch two. All right. Um, will you watch uh, thirty six hours of Top Boy? I'll see what I can do. (laughs) I'll see what I can do. Talk to you guys soon.